Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Venkat Nagaswamy. Venkat and I had a fascinating conversation. There are so many interesting elements, first of all, to his journey. Today, he is the EVP and CMO of a company called Mytel. This is a brand that I knew you know, 30 years ago as a kid and has now reinvented himself, itself. And Venkat talks about the deliberation and the approach to focus on a certain segment and vertical and the opportunity that exists there despite coming from other areas and other parts of his career where he probably tried to convince you that that was the wrong approach. And that hits on the uniqueness of his career path. This is someone who's been a CEO, someone who's been an analyst, someone who's been in sales, and only 30 plus years into his career is now taking the seat as a CMO with with more perspective and experience than I think of any guests I've ever had. This is a fantastic episode. Get ready for my chat now with Venkat. Venkat, I am really excited because your background is so unique. And usually I ask my guests to start with how you got this gig, but I think it's more applicable to say, how did you start in marketing? Because your LinkedIn covers over like 25, 30 years of experience, but maybe only like 15 of that in marketing, which is pretty unique. Yep. Uh, first of all, I don't recommend my journey to any other CMO. So, <laughs> so I got into marketing about... Uh, a dozen years ago. Uh, I was working at Juniper. I was doing uh, strategic alliances at Juniper. And the then CMO of uh, um, uh, Juniper, Lauren Flaherty, she saw how marketing was changing. She came from a traditional marketing environment, and but she saw how marketing was becoming more numbers oriented and bringing the science of marketing into marketing. And so she pulled me into it and said, hey, run uh, enterprise marketing for me. And, and make it more scientific uh, as opposed to what we might have been doing at that stage. So that's how I got started. And so if there is one thing that I have that is uh, bringing the science of marketing into marketing, being more intentional about what we do, bringing more analytics and data into marketing, and that's, that's what my journey has been since then. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I want to get to that. We'll probably get to that analytic side later in the conversation. But we're, we're kind of dismissing here a very valuable first 15 years where you had experiences at places like McKinsey as a consultant. And maybe does that tee up what happened after Juniper? Absolutely. So, so to dial up, I'm an engineer by training, if not by practice. So I studied to be an engineer for like seven years, but I was actually engineer for one year. And then uh, I got into the dark side, as I say, uh, in going into sales. I was working in the sales environment at, uh, uh, for GE Plastics in the automotive industry, selling plastics in the, uh, to GM and Ford and so on. And that was a great training. Being, for any marketer, being in sales is a great training. After went to business school, and then after business school, I started a company. Uh, and then I was working at McKinsey as a consultant. If there is one common thread throughout this, it is using data and analytics, right? When it comes to consulting, a lot of things that we would do was about trying to get data and trying to 
uh, identify patterns and see what's going on with data, either in public market data or, or company's data, right? And that kind of analytics is probably the main thread that I carried through, but, uh, and being an engineer, being familiar with data, having a feel for numbers, those are all things that came naturally to me, and that's that's arguably the one the one common thread that prepared me for what happened later. That's the what shall I say common thread? Yeah, that's really interesting, and and I'm going to kind of bulk together another ten year period where you co-founded a company called Mariana, sold it to Eight by Eight, which is definitely a big force in the telecommunications space. What what I find unique there is going, you know, out of this, you know, found marketing career into a CEO career and then back in and landing and staying with the acquiring company for as many as four years overseeing demand gen. You know, what was it that was a fit for you? Was it the industry? Was it the space? Was it the growth? All of the above. So dude, when I, I started the company because I was when I was running uh, uh, marketing at or enterprise marketing at Juniper, I saw a gap in terms of uh, how we can be more targeted in terms of what marketing that we do and advertising that we do in a B2B world. It's with that vision that we started Mariana. And we got into the deep learning AI way, way at the beginning, back in 2012, 2013 timeframe. And so we caught that wave and we added, we, we grew to 13 people, about a million in, uh, uh, in ARR. And then uh, we decided to sell it because it ended up becoming more of an ad tech company than uh, a regular company. And eight by eight uh, picked it up to to uh, for the AI technology, right? Eight by eight then is using it for the virtual assistant and other things uh, uh, within their portfolio. The rest of the team became the AI arm of eight by eight, and I would have normally gone with that. But the then CMO at eight by eight, she saw my background, saw that I ran this company, and and used to do enterprise marketing at Juniper, and so she pulled me into uh, demand. And what I really loved about uh, the, that phase of 8x8 is that even though it was a long-standing company, in some sense, uh, arguably because it was a long-standing company, uh, a lot of systems and tools and other things that they had for dimension were, were pretty old. And so I, I had to come in and reinvent all of those pieces. We put in a whole bunch of uh, new outbound initiatives, this and that, the other, which is super exciting for me, right? And we went through a significant growth period uh, within 8x8. Uh, I started when we were doing something like 280, 300 million revenue. By the time I left, it was like 600, 650 in, like, in that period of time. And my team drew a lot of the demand in, uh, for that. This is also, remember, half of my tenure there was during COVID. We as 8x8 were providing these tools that people were using to be able to work from home, work safely, and so on. So all those things were super exciting to me. And one example that I'll give you is that, you know, when Hurricane Sandy hit, when was it, like 2019 or something, uh, it hit the coast and people had to evacuate, right? They left from North Carolina and went to all different places. One of our uh, customers there, which is a bank, they told their customers, to go, they, they told their staff to go everywhere. And when the hurricane hit and everybody was worried about their homes and whether the mortgage is going to work and so on and so forth and insurance and so on, they were, they were able to call and talk to the bank because the agents were working from home remotely through whatever internet connection they had. It's those kinds of stories that, that kept me super engaged with that, along with the, just the growth uh, that we saw at 8 by 8 So that to me is like super exciting, right? And uh, that's the reason why I stayed as long as I did, because uh, typically you, you'd stay, a uh, founder would stay there for a couple of years and get the heck out Absolutely. and go to something else, right? 
which was quite frankly what I originally wanted to do, but then you know life got in the way, and I was ex- I was excited about doing what I was doing, and I continued to do it. Very interesting. I mean, th- that high growth environment is what an entrepreneur like you, no doubt, is attracted to. So so let's kind of use that to tee up finding Mitel or Mitel finding you. Um, you know, Mitel by no means, as far as I see it, is a early stage startup. This is a big organization, well-trusted, an amazing brand. What was the appeal for you and what was the appeal for them? And at the same time, maybe the risks for both sides in, you know, getting together. Yeah, arguably more for them than for me, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, Mitel, as you pointed out, I mean, we are a 49-year-old uh, company. It's a marquee company from Canada. Like, you know, I have people, uh, Canadians who come up to you and say, hey, I used to, when I was a kid, my bus used to go past Mitel office uh, every day, right? So it's an icon. And it's a, a and, and as I saying, uh, and, you know, I came from the cloud world into the on-prem world. But if you look at the scale that we have, it's tremendous, right? It's, you know, 35 million lines and and you know thousands of customers all around the globe so it's a it's an awesome brand to be a part of and the way it happened is that uh, they were looking for a cmo and uh, the recruiter called me and in fact the reason why i got into this i'm now told is that they called the recruiter called uh, the former ceo of eight by eight and asked him hey who uh, who would you recommend as the cmo and he said hey go talk to venka and that's how they called me and, and that's how I ended up uh, at Mitel. What attracted me personally is that uh, over the past year or so, we've got, gone through a tremendous change at Mitel and we've focused our efforts on the UC world and not working on the UCAS world, like not competing in the UCAS world for which we have struck a deal with Ring Central. And so by focusing on UC and putting all our development dollars into that, uh, I believe we can win, right? The biggest danger for a lot of companies is competing on too many different fronts. And a lot of companies that I worked with did that. And the fact that we said, okay, you see what we're betting on, that's what we're going to win, and we're going to put our dollars into that, I believe that's a strategy that can win. And because of that, I said, hey, this is a story that I can uh, believe in, and more impo- and equally importantly, it's a place where I can contribute to making this work. And, and that's the reason why I decided to take this job at Mitel. Very interesting. For those less familiar with the telecommunications space uh, and don't know the term UC, help understand you know what that means and what was that bet and how involved were you? Because you've only been with Mitel about six months from what I understand. So was this a decision that was being pitched to you or was this a decision that you were pitching as the CMO coming in? No, so I've been here for three months, two weeks and three days, but who's counting as they say it? Um, <laughs> And so this deal was done uh, even before me. And the fact that the deal was done is what attracted me. But just to give some background behind UC and uh, Unified Communication, UCAS and so on, UCAS is basically Unified Communications as a Service. It's a SaaS product where you combine phones, video meetings, uh, uh, chat, uh, and so on, all the collaborations and communications tools, but uh, rolled up into one. So Microsoft Teams, Zoom, 8x8 are all well-known names in that space. Mitel, we all, uh, also have a product in that space, which we have, as I mentioned, we are transitioning away from uh, uh, as we did the Ring Central deal. And Ring is also the, it's the uh, Gartner Magic Quadrant. It's been in the top right-hand corner of uh, uh, Magic Quadrant for the past nine, 10 years. So it's a leader in the space, the single biggest 
independent UCAS player uh, in this in the space and well-known brand. And that's the reason why we picked, uh, uh, or Mitel picked Ring Central to work with. You see, Unified Communications is basically the same thing, except uh, done with on-prem and private cloud software that connects your desk phone with the chat applications, with video applications, and so on, with, with on-prem, uh, in, in the on-prem world, right? So that is UC and Unified Communications is the same thing, but, but uh, done in the cloud. Gotcha. Well, the uh, understanding the differences, I think, is important probably to the second half of this combo. want to talk a little bit about how you reposition yourself, but we'll take a break here on the marketer's journey. We'll be back with Venkat, and we'll get into a little bit of his buyer's journey that's being mapped. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. What I find really interesting about the playbook at Mitel is that they are approaching a segment or a vertical of the market. Now, many of us often say, well, that's a good way to start with disruption. And what they're doing is almost reverse disruption. They're going back to people and saying, if you want to stick with on-premise, there are ways to do so that are disruptive just as much as the cloud is. And I think that's something that we can all look at in the markets in which we serve to realize that as much as there's a path forward, there's also those people who are going to be more comfortable with the way it is, but still things need to modernize there. And still that creates massive market opportunity for disruption. This is a fantastic story of that. In the second segment here, you're gonna hear Venkat talk about how they figure out the right messaging to win over those markets. So Venkat, I felt like you were talking directly to me in our first segment because I'm one of those people who's from Canada who knows the Mitel brand very well. And as you describe this huge shift in terms of focus and where the business is going to go in the next 10, 20 years or beyond, how do you go about changing the perception of people who know a Mitel of 20, 40, 50 years ago? So if you look at the journey of, that Mitel has been on for the past, let's say, five, 10 years, we have been looking to make the transition. So taking a step back, a lot of UC players, on-prem players like Avaya, Cisco, and so on, uh, they've all tried to go into the uh, as-a-service route, right? As all the things, activities move to cloud. Now, and and Mitel was also making this transition over the past few years. And so a lot of our positioning, if you look at what happened in the recent past, has been around talking about cloud, 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 right? The pivot that we're making now as a company in, in, in terms of uh, overall strategy and uh, and consequently the brand is that we are saying, hey, we are the only players who have recognized that there is value and innovation to be had in the UC world. 
and we want to be able to we want to be number one number two in every geographical area that we play in and we believe we can deliver that based on this uh, focus on uc right and so in doing so uh, the 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 way we are adopting it is not to be everything to everybody right or at least moving forward the the repositioning that we are looking to do is to be a more vertical specific brand which uh, uh, where the uc benefits are tremendously high right and the four five verticals we're looking to work on are uh, sled education higher education uh, hospitals and and financial services and the reason for that is that in a lot of these places you have a combination of different needs so let's just take a a, a school for instance right you have need for phones and uh, ip phones and other things coming in you also have a pa system within the school which is you know analog phones and so you need to be able to combine these various modes of interacting with people and for that on prem uh, or private cloud uc is still the best solution to go after so these are places where on prem uc products can truly make a difference and similarly when it comes to uh, when you think about uh, hospitals people use uc as a way to determine presence which then helps you with nursing staffing and so on and so forth right I didn't know about a lot of these things. Right? This is this no. Is... It's you know my first gut when I hear you describe the move is it it feels smaller than the market. But at the same time, when you start to dig into the potential in what you're saying, vertical. Some people may hear niche, but these are massive verticals. Massive, right? And and you know even now, if you look at the million and a half, two million lines that we added last year, a big chunk of it comes from these kind of verticals, right? Now, to put this in perspective, uh, even a large Ring Central, the largest uh, UCAS uh, player in the world, it has four million lines overall. Just in last year, in all their history, right? We, we have added 1.52 million lines just in last year. So that gives you a sense of scale that we have, right? And 35 million installed base lines that we have. So that gives you a sense of scale. So even when I say focusing, it's focusing in terms of being able to tell the customer stories, right? And to be able to, to demonstrate the value of this, uh, UCAS player, and I did this at 8x8, everybody keeps talking about everything moved, moving to cloud. Maybe 50 years later, it's going to happen. But today, or next for next foreseeable future, at least in my career, I don't think everything is going to move to cloud because there is value to be had in equipment on-prem, which links with not just with the communications, but all the other things that they're working on, right? So when you, when we, for instance, when I talk about school, the school solution is not about telephones, right? It's not about giving them uh, an ability to call. It's about the security that we can deliver to school. When you talk about uh, an, an emergency notification system or things of that kind, those are the kinds of things that you can do with the communications equipment that we have. So it goes beyond just being able to talk to someone. It is about the security that we can provide to, to the school. So when you think about it that way, the brand needs to be purposed on like what value that we're delivering to customers. And we're going to tell more stories about our customers and, and more content on that to, to explain what we do anyway. So you, you hit on content there, which was going to be one of my, my last quick questions before we shift here. And, and I'm curious because I imagine at 8x8, you had to be the disruptor. Challenging people to move away from what you're now telling people is the right way to do it, ironically enough. Yep. So I'm curious, is your view of content, content that's going to be created internally, content you know of your customers telling stories, or is this going back to analysts who are still thinking in those older mindsets that you used to disrupt perhaps. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of, bit of all of the above, right? So 
Number one thing for me is telling customer stories uh, along with our partners. Our partners are super important to, uh, to us. A vast, vast 90 some percent of our business goes through our partners. Being able to tell this kind of the school story that I was talking about, there are hospital stories that we can talk about, the kind of true difference that we're making to our customers. So that's number one. Number two, at 8 by 8 or Ring Central or any of these things, they produce a lot of content around cloud, right? We need to have a voice to talk about the UC story in that, right? Even existing, uh, other existing players like Avaya and so on, we're not telling the UC story as effectively as we should be. And it feels a bit like uh, some of the, the on-prem players are still not as uh, content-focused as we should be. And, and so when I say that kind of content, it's more... Uh, content on a website, talking about, uh, again, how, what value we add, or talking about the integrations and other things that we do, things that our buyers care about, right? And we need to be able to create a you know, tremendous amount of content around that to get people to come to our site. You know, uh, I was talking to some of our partners here in San Diego, and they were talking about how during COVID times, they needed to get into a lot of content creation, a lot of videos, and and so on and so forth, right? And these are typically, I mean, historically, if you look at a lot of bars, they didn't used to have marketing, right? They would have Salesforce. They didn't have a whole lot of marketing. But today, people are investing in that, and people are investing in content and, and, and making YouTube videos and blogs and so on and so forth. The world, our partners have woken up to it. We need to do a similar thing and, and grow our content on our website, anything that our partners and customers care about, and then we need to be able to tell that story. And to hit upon analysts at the final one, uh, a lot of analysts are seeing that, hey, yeah, we've been telling the cloud story, but th this trend might not be as fast as what everybody expects it to be. And therefore, there is still this on-prem hybrid story that we need to tell, right? One example I would point out in that is that, you know, when you think about cloud computing and what's been happening, that's similar to what's going on in the, in, in the communications world. In cloud computing, even Amazon, the leader, the guys who came up with this infrastructure as a service, even those guys have a hybrid product, which links your on-prem with Amazon. So even on computing, you're seeing this mixture of cloud and on-prem and other things. And similarly, you're going to see the same thing with communications as well. And a lot of analysts are seeing that too. So we've only got a few minutes before we take a break, and, and I feel like I'm going to regret if I don't ask you about the role data plays in some of these decisions that you've just talked about in terms of where you're going to focus or how channels are performing. Talk to me about the, the role data plays for someone who prides themselves on that being a catalyst for their career. Absolutely. Uh, ultimately, for me, everything starts with the customer truth, Right. And data and even stories are ways to understand that. And so marketing often gets a bad rap. And that's because not because of marketing itself, but because of how we often do it. Uh, and from that perspective, the end goal for me, uh, for all of marketing, is to, is to create the kind of marketing that we want to see when we are targeted for marketing. Right? So anyway, so from that perspective, uh, for me, the, the way I think about marketing in that perspective is to say, okay, who are the customers that we're looking to go after? Uh, what are the companies? What do they care about? Uh, and then who within the company we should target and how to target them and what message to say. It's the chain that we need to be able to do. And marketing and data plays a critical role in each of these things, right? The classic one would be trying to figure out propensity models to figure out which companies to go after. 
and that has not just the firmographics you can talk about other products and other things that they use so there's a whole amount of data that you can gather about people and companies to be able to determine that similarly about uh, people to target you know looking at people's titles are is very hard to say whom you really need to target to be able to target for that you need to understand who these people are and again data plays a role in that and of course the channels and other execution thing that you need to do so for me it's like uh, um while for a lot of people storytelling and data might be two different things and entirely different to me they're two sides of the same coin right any good story has data behind it but data on its own is not doesn't set ships sailing it's the it's the it's a story behind that that we need to capture i think that's great and and how much of that i know you've sat on boards i know that you know no question you've you know had to report to a board as a ceo and now a cmo when you come to them, how much of that is you telling the story side versus the data side in, the, in that equation? So leading with a story that's informed by data. So when you talk about, for instance, uh, um, let's say people affected by uh, AIDS or any plight like that, instead of just saying, hey, 54 million people have died because of AIDS, if you capture uh, the story of one person, uh, like you know Philadelphia or story or one of those things, uh, then it it brings the the data to life, right? It becomes an exemplar of what the 54 million people suffered, and you illustrate it with that. That's basically how uh, I think about it. So, and even when you're when you present data, the data itself needs to have an arc to that. Uh, what is the problem? How you identify there is a problem, and using data to then uh, to build your story up to it, right? So even when you talk about like whom to target or how to target. That's an end result, right? And you have certain reasons as to why that happened. You can build a pyramid around that to, to build up to the final point. And that's where data and, and building an art comes in. I think that's a, that's a great way to frame it and think about it. And, and I feel like you, you just named this episode there with that line of leading with a story framed with data. Couldn't agree more. We're going to take a quick break. Got a couple more questions for you, Venkat, back here on The Marketer's Journey. Most marketers you speak to will either say, I believe so much in leading with data points and ROI, and others will say, we just want to tell a story. And I think Venkat's approach is really the right balance here. It's the ideas he said of leading with a story that is formed with data. And the more we can do that, the more we can assure someone that here's the result you're going to get the way this person went and accomplished it. Walk through their journey, walk through their realizations, walk through the results they were able to get. That is the perfect way to deliver a case study. Whether you're standing up in front of an audience, or you're putting together a video on your website, or you're doing a one pager. Don't just lead with numbers. Numbers are exciting, but understanding the pains that one has to overcome is really the emotional element that's gonna get someone to make that leap and start to trust you. Venkat, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We've talked about your very unique path to CMO. We've talked about you know the role of data, the type of marketer it takes to break through. So I want to combine some of those topics now. My first question for you, when you think of the next CMO, and as you said out of the gate, you know, you're not the exact role model, but still you're there. 
where, what path do you think is best for someone these days? Is it to be more of the generalist or to really specialize in an area? And if so, what path is that? Yeah, I, even though I've done my level best to not specialize in one thing in my life, I ended up specializing in marketing and demand generation in that in the world. In terms of journey, I would say starting IS marketers, but uh, starting with something around data, being being someone who does digital marketing, can a, a, a analyze data. I think that is a good starting point for anyone going on to the CMO journey over time. Because I think like uh, uh, when you're on digital marketing, it is a good combination of uh, getting enough data to be able to analyze that and understand what's going on. But at the same time, it, it also has a creative element to that. And and it's it's that balance that you need to strike. And starting off doing, let's say, Google ads or Twitter ads or Facebook ads as a good way to get going on this journey because it combines those two elements. That's great advice and great, great concrete examples of how to how to establish that skill set. So let's shift back to content. And I'm curious for you, what is it that gets you to click these days? What kind of content really hits the mark for you? And, you know, at a, at a high level, what are the characteristics there? You know, um, recently I got an email from um, Gartner. And the reason why I clicked and opened that email was that it said, what to do in your first 100 days as a CMO. And they hit me that with that during day 60. So they got it approximately right, right? So, uh, and there's another email that made me click as well, but let's finish this. The reason why it made me click is that they, uh, if you analyze it, it spoke to me as an individual and in my journey at that particular point. Right, I'm even now within 100 days of joining uh, Mitel, and because of that, I opened that uh, uh, article and I was looking at it. The other email was like it said, "Go blue." I went to Michigan, and so it said, "Go blue." So I to open it. <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I think what you're really hitting on there is is a combination of personalization and relevance, and and I'm Absolutely. curious. What are your expectations these days as a B2B buyer? given the consumer pressures around personalization and expectations that have been set, what do you expect from someone in terms of elements of personalization? So I want you to recognize, I want them to have done some homework and demonstrated in a seamless fashion, right? Often some of the personalization efforts become, appears very kludgy. So for instance, often people say, hey, uh, I see we are connected to the same person, blah, and I thought I would reach out to you. Being connected to that person is not the reason why you're contacting me anyway, right? But some other dimension of personalization. So for instance, uh, I've done a couple of these podcasts and people listen to it, and then they would refer to the, the, the email saying, hey, uh, I heard you talk about left brain and right brain. And then I'm like, okay, they've spent some time looking at it. They've spent some time thinking about me and figured out what to say. You know, my wife always says, you know, it's not what you do. It's the thought that counts. Show me that you're thinking. That's all. Uh, that's, all I, that's all I ask. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you got a bright wife. Uh, yeah. All right. Last question. Speaking of, of wives and family is really coming down to the personal side, the personal journey that you're always trying to take and balance with the workload. How do you establish that balance? Yeah. And I have to say like COVID I, I don't say this lightly, COVID was very bad for a lot of people. But during COVID, I went through a personal reset on, for me because 
we are spending so much time on video conferencing with that from 7.30 in the morning to 6 in the evening. So it was very hard to uh, balance that with family and and everybody was, you know, distressed at home with everybody working from home and so on. So I went through a bit of a reset during this journey. And during this reset, I started working out more. I, even my meetings, I would take it walking uh, about my neighborhood in San Francisco. So I started getting more of those steps. And so started figuring out how to incorporate other, how to bring it all into a holistic single piece, right? Earlier when we had, when we traveled to work, it was like you had work life, you had a home life. And with working from home, both were merging. And so when both are merging, you also need to weave in other personal elements to this, right? And so one of, and while I've always been an early riser, these days what I do is I wake up in the morning, I uh, uh, try to meditate for a while. I went on a 10-day meditation retreat last year. So I've been trying to meditate since then, not too successfully, I must admit. Uh, and even <laughs> if I don't, then I read, right? Reading and writing are probably the easiest forms of meditation that anyone can undertake, right? And and so in the morning, I wake up to try to uh, meditate. If not, I'd spend some time reading and that's me time, right? Before That's before, before my kid or my wife wakes up and, and I was just sitting, sleeping and lying down in bed and reading. And that to me is an important piece. So this weaving of personal and professional and work and home life, I think we all need to figure out a way of, of making into a single whole fabric, if you will. I love that. I, I love that mindset of weaving the two together. I think it's might be the most realistic way to balance. Then, Kat, thank you so much. Everything you've shared today from your career, from thinking about how you go to market to how you balance things at home, so much value shared. And if you've stumbled upon this podcast for the first time, check out all the other great CMOs who have shared their story. Uh, everyone's is unique, as you're hearing Venkat's. Tune in, find one, and create your own path. One day, hopefully, you'll be here to share your journey on the Marketer's Journey podcast. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.